Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you guys. Happy Resurrection Sunday. Uh, and we are glad uh, to gather together as God's people this morning, uh, to gather together around the proclamation of the truth of the gospel, the good news of the person and work of Jesus. And uh, so if you are here today and you're a first-time guest, we are, we are so glad you're here. Uh, we are glad that you chose to uh, worship and, and to be with us today. Um, over the next few minutes, what we're going to do is we are going to uh, look into God's Word uh, in the book of Luke, chapter 24. So if you have a Bible, I would encourage you to turn there. Uh, here at Redemption Church, we believe that uh, Scripture, that the Bible is the Word of God, inspired by the Holy Spirit, uh, that it is true and beneficial for all areas of life and practice and faith for us today. Uh, so as we turn there today, uh, we're going to uh, uh, unpack the truths of the good news of the resurrection of Jesus and what that means for us today. So um, before we dive in, I'd love to pray for us, and and then we will uh, read from God's Word. Uh, Father God in heaven, thank you again for this morning, a time to gather together with your people as your people. Uh, God, we thank you for the good news of Jesus, uh, whom we celebrate today. We thank you for his perfect life, his death on a cross, his victorious resurrection, and his ascension uh, to the throne in heaven. And God, I pray that over the next few minutes as we open your word, uh, God, that you would speak to us, that you would speak through your inspired scripture, that you would open our minds to understand and open our hearts uh, to receive this good news. Uh, Lord, that by your spirit, through your scriptures, you would transform us to be more like your son, Jesus. Uh, God, we pray that this would be a joyful time as we celebrate who you are and what you've done uh, for us. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Luke chapter 24. As we've just heard uh, from uh, Jason Webb, our worship pastor, how uh, Jesus' disciples had seen uh, their teacher, their friend, die. They saw his body buried in a grave. And a couple days later, they go to the tomb to find that his body is not there. In Luke chapter 24... Verse 36, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they were still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You were witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him 
and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. This is God's word. Friends, Jesus meets us in our fearful doubts and gives us joyful faith. Have you ever been amazed by something beyond belief? I mean, has something ever happened or have you ever received news and your first reaction is, I, I can't believe it? I mean, maybe it was tragic news. Maybe you had a horrible phone call about some awful, disastrous news of a loved one. And as you're on the phone, you're thinking, I can't believe that happened. Have you ever had good news? And your first reaction was, I can't believe it. I mean, maybe you're a student and you are taking your boards or in your studies, you think there's no way I'm going to pass this test. And you ace it. And you think, I can't believe that. Or, or, or maybe you've applied to a college or a school and you're thinking, man, they'll never let me in. And then you get that letter that's like, hey, you're in. Full ride. What? Can't believe it. See, for my wife and I, we experienced great joy last year when we found out we were having twins. <laughs> Our pre- third pregnancy for my wife, and we go into the doctor's office and they're like, hey, there's two heartbeats in there. And we, we had mixed reactions. My wife is crying. I'm laughing hysterically. I think, I can't believe it. It's been almost a year. I still can't believe it. We have twins. All of us have been there. right? All of us have had that moment where we get news, whether it be tragic or something extremely amazing, and our first reaction is, I can't believe this is true. And in the story today, in Luke chapter 24, it's exactly where the disciples are. They have just seen their friend, their teacher, Jesus who's done all of these great miracles and they've they've followed him for years and they've heard his teaching and they've seen his actions and they've seen him both proclaim this good news out of scripture and they've seen him display it to testify to who he is and they saw him die and they're thinking, "I I can't believe this happened to Jesus. And then a few days later, they visit the tomb and his body is not there. And then Jesus stands before them and they think, I, 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 can't, I can't believe this is happening. You see, in those moments of disbelief, in our fearful doubts, Jesus meets us there and gives us a joyful faith. And then the verses before us today, I want us to look at a few things and apply it to our lives today because we see that the disciples who knew Jesus very well had seen him face to face wrestle with disbelief and doubt. And Jesus meets them there and and, and gives them uh, the understanding of the promises of peace from God. And the response is one of joyful faith, okay? So first, let's look at the disbelief and doubt that the disciples experience. We see that as Jesus stands before them and says, peace to you, verse 37, they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your heart? Down in verse 41, and while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? The verse has been Uh, stood out to me all week. They were disbelieved for joy. 
see, within us, there is always a thread of hope. Even in our lowest moments, even in the moments of doubt and fear, in the moments of trouble and frustration, in the moments of disbelief, there's always within us a seed of hope. And when I picture the disciples standing, uh, sitting before Jesus as he walks in the room and says, peace, there's this moment where they don't believe, but there's within them a hope that they want to believe. In that disbelief, there is a desire for joy. That's part of how we were created to be. Deep within us, God has sown within us the hope for redemption, the hope for joy, even when it gets muddled in disbelief and doubt. They were disbelieved for joy. And when we look at what joy means, joy goes beyond circumstances. We know happiness can be circumstantial. When things are going well, you're happy. When they're not going well, you're not happy. Joy goes far beyond that. It, joy comes from a knowledge that things are changed forever. And so as the disciples are sitting before Jesus, they're disbelieved for joy. When Jesus says, hey, I'm, I'm here, peace be with you, there's a response of, of trouble, of fear, of confusion, of doubt. But within that is a moment of, we know something's different. We're not sure what we believe here, but there's joy because we know that in this moment, things will never be the same. It's a good place to be in our doubts, in our confusion, in our partial, confused, disbelieving, there is joy. As we study the word disbelief, this goes beyond just understanding factual, conceptual ideas. Many of you in here uh, are guests, and you maybe, I, I don't know you, and you come in here maybe with, with doubts about who Jesus is. Maybe you're coming in thinking, hey, I doubt that Jesus was even a real guy. Maybe you're here doubting that, that Jesus rose from the dead, that that's just a myth or a story, a metaphor to somehow convey for us some moral truth. It's a good place to be. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad that you have come here in your doubts, in your disbelief. Others of you maybe are disbelieving in other ways, saying, uh, I just don't know how this applies to me. I find it the reality of, of the gospel is not resonating with my heart and I, I don't see the effects of what I thought my life would be like as a Christian. It's a good place to be. Because in our doubts, in our fears, Jesus meets us and he gives us joyful faith. So here we are, disbelief, not just an unbelief of conceptual facts, but a distrust of the implications of that reality. That's where the disciples are. They're saying, we, we, don't, we don't really know what to think of Jesus being here. They think he's a ghost or a spirit. And Jesus is like, no, man, I'm a human. Actually, I'm hungry. You got, you got something to eat? <laughs> In that moment, there's not just an unbelieving of a conceptual fact, but, a, but a, almost a distrust. And we see that disbelief is characterized by fear. I mean, Scripture even tells us that in that moment, I mean, Jesus had taught and done miracles and said, hey, I'm going to come back, I'm going to die, and then I'm going to come back to life. I mean, he told them he was going to do this. But in that moment, he appears before them and says, peace to you. Peace, meaning all things are well. And Scripture says they were startled. <gasps> that they were frightened. There was fear there. 
Jesus says, why, why are you troubled? Why, why are there doubts within your hearts? They were disbelieved for joy. So what does this look like for you and I today? What does disbelief look like? Disbelief being not only a, uh, it can be not thinking something is true, but also distrusting the promises of God. In the disciples' case, distrusting that he was actually going to come back to life. For you and I today, this disbelief can express itself by our identity, right? Maybe you're here and you're thinking, I'm not good enough. God could never love me. God can't accept me. God could never forgive me. Jeremy, if you only knew what my past looked like, you would, you would know that God could never forgive me for what I've done. God could never forgive me for what I've thought. God could never forgive me for the desires I have. That's disbelief. That's distrust of the promises of God. Maybe it expresses it this way by what we worship, where our mind's attention and affections are. Maybe we are, are caught up not in an identity crisis of unacceptance or unlove, but maybe uh, we worship, in a sense, something else or someone else other than God. I mean, the great commandment from Jesus' mouth himself, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. How many of us love someone else or something else more than God? How many of us give partial love and worship to God? That comes from a disbelief, a distrust, a doubt. How about the second commandment that's like it? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Wow, that's a hard one. When we fail to love someone else, it's because we disbelieve, we distrust, we doubt the good news of Jesus. Here's a bunch of them. How about this? The one and others of Scripture. The Bible says to love one another. Hmm? To fellowship with one another. To forgive one another. To accept one another. To serve one another. To teach one another. To be patient with one another. To pray for one another. To submit to one another. And to encourage one another. Those are just ten When we fail at doing those things, it stems from a disbelief, a distrust, a doubt of the promises of God. But don't feel guilty. <laughs> because in our doubts, in our disbelief, Scripture says that the disciples were disbelieved for joy. Because within us there is a seed of hope. There is a hope within us that we can love and fellowship, forgive, accept, serve, teach, be patient, pray for one another, submit to one another, encourage one another. We want to do that, and we try in various ways. Within us, we want to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We want to love our neighbor as ourselves. In God, we want to understand that we are good enough, that we are loved, that we are accepted, that we are forgiven. In God... We want those things. In the gospel, we want to understand those things. Within us, there is a seed of hope. In our disbelief, there is a disbelief for joy. So I want to ask you this before we move forward in Scripture. What does disbelieving for joy look like in your life? 
What does disbelief look like? How does it express itself in your doubts, your fears, your guilt, your shame, your lack of trust in the promises of God? It's a good place to be. But Scripture does not leave us there. The story today does not leave the disciples in this room thinking, what in the hee-haw is going on with Jesus? He was in a grave and now he comes and wants some fish. Look what happens here. Jesus meets them in their doubt. Jesus meets them in their moment of disbelief. What I love here is that Jesus walks in the room and says, peace to you. And then when they respond and startle and fear and trouble and doubt, Jesus doesn't scold them. He doesn't say, why can't you just get it together, people? I mean, can't you read your Bible? I mean, Jesus, Jesus doesn't say, how dare you doubt and disbelieve? Uh, you've been with me for three years. I've taught you. You've seen the miracles. Jesus does not kick in the door in anger and frustration, but he walks in with great patience, great peace in the midst of doubt and disbelief. Because in our doubt and disbelief, Jesus meets us to give us a joyful faith, and that is based on the promises of peace from God. I mean, Jesus' first statement as he walks in the room, they're all talking. I mean, this is the picture I want you to see is, is Jesus' disciples had gone to the tomb and said, okay, his body's not there, where is it? And they, they go back and they're meeting in this room discussing these things, saying, I, what, what could happen here? And as they're chatting about it, Jesus walks in the room and says, peace. He says, peace to you. In other words, peace is huge. This is the theme of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. Peace being the the concept of shalom is, is the right relationship between God and man being restored and the right relationship between mankind with each other that only happens when Jesus intervenes. I mean, that's what everyone's been hoping for for generations in the first century is there, is there in Israel under a time of Roman occupation and Roman oppression thinking there's got to be some intervention from God. Maybe we could do it through this political avenue. Nope, not working. Maybe we could do it through this religious avenue. No, not working. God, you have to intervene. God, we need a right relationship with you. We need a right relationship with each other. This just hasn't been working for generations. God, you got to do something. And Jesus sets foot on the scene, and that's the whole theme of the gospel that points us to Jesus. The whole Bible is pointing us to Jesus as being the great reconciler between God and man, the great reconciler between mankind and each other. It's what all of our hearts are 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 hoping for. It's the joy within us that we just don't know who the object of our joy is. That's why we disbelieve for joy. And Jesus meets his disciples there and says, peace. There is now a right relationship between you and God. Peace. There is right relationship between you and each other. Jesus has secured that for us. And in this moment of calm, patient love, and compassion, Jesus gently asks, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your heart? Jesus shows in this moment that the promises of God have come true. I mean, this is an amazing statement for us. In verse 44, He says, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. 
mean, Jesus is like, I've told you this, right? He calmly, gently says that, I've told you. Like, while I was with you, I told you this. I taught you this. I've, this is what, for years, I've been saying this would happen. These were my words I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything, everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. You know what Jesus is saying there? He's saying everything in the Old Testament that's pointing to me is happening. I mean, the law of Moses, that's the, that's the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You got this part of the Old Testament, the law of Moses, that for generations God's people have been following in anticipation of, uh, of getting closer to God and closer to each other and experience true peace, true relationship with their God and with their fellow man. And the prophets during, that were written during the times of oppression and exile, waiting for God to send a deliverer. And Jesus is saying, all of that stuff about the prophets is about me, and it's being fulfilled right now. The Psalms, when, when, when David and the other psalmists are writing these wonderful worship tunes about how, how creation is testifying to the glory of God and how God is a redeemer and rescuer and saves our soul and does wonderful things for his people. It's all pointing us to Jesus. So Jesus sets foot in this moment and says, peace to you. And God is making good on his promises. And all of the scripture that you've been reading and, and for hundreds of years been waiting for is coming true in me. All of that joy that you had hoped for happens now. Not only does scripture testify to the promises of God coming true in Jesus, but Jesus is saying, look, you need, you need some further proof. I mean, it, he says, look, Verse 46, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer. they just seen Jesus suffer, being whipped and crucified, a bloody, brutal, painful death on a cross, that he would suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. Jesus is saying all of that that you had expected that Scripture said would happen has happened. It has been fulfilled. See, this is part of the big story of Scripture that all of the Bible is focusing in on the person and work of Jesus. And that is good news for us. So where do you find your story in this big story? Right, I mean, if, if Jesus meets us in our disbelief and doubts and we're all there, whether it be identity crisis issues or, or faith issues with God or relational issues with each other. We walk into this room today with disbelief for joy. We want to have hope in something. We know it's within us, but we don't know who or what the object of our affection and worship should be. And we come in here confused, doubting, troubled, disbelieving. And the promises of God come true in Jesus. And he's meeting you here. Where do you find your story in this grand story of redemption? The God who created everything out of nothing. The God who has rescued his people time and time again from exile, from slavery, from physical oppression and spiritual bondage. Confusion, doubts, disbelief. He meets us here and gives us peace. All of the Bible is pointing us to this moment. The work of Jesus is pointing us to his moment. I mean, that's what, that's what he says. I mean, he, says, he says to them, it is written that the Christ should suffer on the third day, rise from the dead. He had just gotten done telling them, like, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your heart? Verse 39, he says, look at my hands and my feet. It's me. I mean, look at his hands and his feet. They were not smooth hands and feet at this point. They had been 
marred with nails. I mean, they were bloody. He says, look, it's me. It's me. I have done what I told you I was going to do. So where do you find your story in this story? Friends, it is my hope and prayer for all of us here is that we would see that this is the God that is rescuing you. This is the Christ that is saving you. It is this Jesus who is bringing peace to you and to me, to us together. This is not some fairy tale. This is the God of the universe who created you to have joy in your heart toward him. This is the God who is, who is coming to restore that brokenness between you and God, that brokenness between you and each other. This is, this is how he did it. This is who he is. His promises of rescue and redemption come true in Jesus. And the same Jesus that is in the room defeating the fearful doubts and disbelief of his disciples is the same Jesus who is defeating your disbeliefs and doubts and fears. Look what happens next. As Jesus opens their mind to understand the scripture and shows that he is who he says he is and has done what he said to do, he was going to do, verse 47, he says, Repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You were witnesses of these things. Behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay into this, in the city until you are clothed with power on high. Verse 50, he led them out as far as Bethany, lifting up his hands. He blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him. Returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And were continually in the temple blessing God. Do you see what happens? In our doubt and disbelief, there is trouble, there is fear, there is fright, but there is a longing for joy. And Jesus meets us and says, the promises of God are here in me. All the scriptures about me, my work is all about restoring that. That joy that you have in the midst of your fear, doubt, and disbelief is reconciled through the promises of reconciliation in Christ. And the response is that we are transformed forever. I mean, Scripture says, look, the good news of what Jesus has done is that there is repentance and forgiveness of sin. Repentance and forgiveness of sin. You know what that means? I mean, for a first century Jew who was, who was carrying not only personal sin, but the sin of, of their whole people would, would, would come together in, in times of sacrifice and worship in the temple so that, so that the sins of their whole people would be erased through sacrifice and then Jesus is saying you don't have to do that anymore I am that final sacrifice for all of your people but for your specific personal sins and struggles it's dealt with there is forgiveness you have been released do you understand that in Christ you are forgiven no matter how wicked you have been in your life no matter how twisted and perverse your mind may be no matter how evil you have acted in Christ, there is forgiveness. You are released from that. Repentance means a transformation. It means a, a change of mindset, a change of, of orientation. You're no longer oriented toward fear and doubt and destruction, but you are oriented toward joy in Christ and being rescued. 
That's what repentance means. And, and Jesus says, look, all of Scripture is pointing to that. My work is all about that. And here I am now, risen from the dead, saying, look, all that you've expected has happened. It has come true. Now, repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed. This is good news. In Christ, you are forgiven. You are no longer under the identity of that wickedness that you found yourself in. That, that mindset, that mentality that your, your brain was geared toward, that affection that was, that was twisted, is, you're no longer defined by that. In Christ, you are forgiven. It's what we are to proclaim. I'm going to shout it until my lungs just fall out. It would be disgusting. I don't even know what that means. Repentance and forgiveness of sin must be proclaimed. I love it to all the nations. It means everybody. That, that's huge, man. I mean, you got to think for a first century Jew, they're thinking, all right, you know, there's going to be a Messiah to save God's people, Israel. And Jesus is like, oh yeah, watch this. This repentance of sin and repentance and forgiveness of sin is going to be proclaimed to all the nations. That means everybody. That means Americans, right? I mean, if we would get that, can you imagine? As Americans, let's repent of sin and embrace forgiveness. That means every. There's no, this is what the beauty of the gospel is there is no human being on the planet ever that is outside the scope of the forgiveness of Christ. Nobody ever is outside the scope of the forgiveness of Christ. Nobody. That's what Jesus is saying. You proclaim that good news. Jesus is like, man, my work has settled the debt for all of humanity. No matter how wicked, no matter how weird, no matter how twisted or perverse, Jesus is like, no, those sins are forgiven or dealt with. Proclaim that good news. Like, yell it. Scream it. He says, you will be my witnesses of these things. Verse 48, you are my witnesses. You've seen this. You've experienced this. He promises the Holy Spirit of God to come upon them, to empower their obedience, to empower the proclamation of this good news. And look what happens, man. I just love this. He blesses them. In verse 52, they worshiped him. They knew that things would never be the same. That Jesus had met them in their doubt and disbelief, showed them the promises of God had come true, that all of Scripture was about him, and that he had done everything needed to be reconciled to God and with each other, to have true peace, a right relationship, forgiveness, repentance. They worshiped and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple blessing God. I mean, it just wrecked everything for them. They're like, no, we're no longer going to hide out over here. We're going to worship God because he has made good on his promises. Everything's different. Do you see what happens here? The story begins with a group of people hiding in a room trying to figure out what the heck just happened. We thought he was dead, he was buried, his body's not there. What is going on? And it says they were disbelieved for joy. There was a partial hope within them wanting to have joy, but we don't know where it is. You know, Jesus walks in the room and says, peace, they're like, yo, we're confused, we want to have joy. They're hiding a partial joy. And the story ends with Jesus blessing them, saying, you're forgiven, proclaim this good news to all of the nations. And where do they go? They go to the temple, very public, not hiding anymore, with great joy. 
See, apart from Christ, we disbelieve for joy, but in Christ we have great joy. It is complete. It is overflowing. It is erupting from us in every area of our lives. There's no longer this secret discussion of, hey, what's going on? I don't know. There's this open, let's worship the Lord because there is joy within us. We have to proclaim that there is repentance and forgiveness in Christ alone, that in Christ we are new people, that in Christ we are no longer defined by the sins of our past, that in Christ we are no longer defined by the failures of our present. In Christ we are defined by those who have been rescued, and this is such good news. So in closing, I'll ask you this. Where are you in this story? If you are here and you have doubts about Jesus, if you have a disbelief about the good news, the gospel, we trust that the Lord is meeting you now. I'm not here to convince you that this happened only. I'm praying that the Holy Spirit would convince you of the significance of what happened. Because disbelief is not only, well, did this factually happen or not? Disbelief means not trusting the implications of what happened. And so I'm praying that God would wreck our doubts and disbelief and have us erupt with great joy, trusting. That's what faith means. Faith is not just I adhere to an idea. No. Faith is relational trust that Jesus has done this, that you are forgiven, that you are a new person, that God has made things right. That's good news. So if you are not a Christian, we want more than anything for you to know this good news. Secondly, if you are a Christian, like me, you probably struggle with doubts and disbelief sometime. When Scripture says to pray for one another and we say, Puh, why? Why bother? Well, it's because we're disbelieving, we're distrusting, we're doubting the significance of Scripture. Or when we say, man, I've got to do better, try hard, I've got to clean myself up uh, because God's not going to love me. That's distrusting the good news. I guess what I'm saying is all of us in this room need to repent of something. I need to repent of a lot of things right now. I need to be transformed by the good news that in Christ the promises of peace from God have come true. I need to trust that, believe that, embrace that, and experience true, great joy. As we close our time, I want to read a prayer. I want to read a Puritan prayer of this good news over us on our behalf. O Lord, I marvel that thou shouldst become incarnate, be crucified, dead, and buried. The sepulchre calls forth my adoring wonder, for it is empty, and thou art risen. The fourfold gospel attests to it. The living witnesses prove it. My heart's experience knows it. Give me to die with thee, that I may rise to new life. For I wish to be as dead and buried to sin, to selfishness, to the world, that I might not hear the voice of the charmer 
and might be delivered from his lusts. O Lord, there is much ill about me. Crucify it. Much flesh within me. Mortify it. Purge me from selfishness, the fear of man, the love of approbation, the shame of being thought old-fashioned, the desire to be cultivated or modern. Let me reckon my old life dead because of crucifixion and never feed it as a living thing. Grant me to stand with my dying Savior, to be content to be rejected, to be willing to take up unpopular truths and to hold fast despised teachings until death. Help me to be resolute and Christ-contained. Never let me wander from the path of obedience to thy will. Strengthen me for the battles ahead. Give me courage for all the trials and grace for all the joys. Help me to be a holy, happy person free from every wrong desire, from everything contrary to thy mind. Grant me more and more of the resurrection life. May it rule me. May I walk in its power and be strengthened through its influence. Amen.